Well, good morning, MRCC. It's great to see you on a glorious morning, on a glorious weekend. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. Um, also on a glorious week. If you're joining us later in the week and it's raining, well, you know, that's your fault. But here it is glorious and it's good to see you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, one of the great old hymns of our faith. And you know what? I can't just let it go without saying this. The reason that hymn was written is not to give us kind of a sentimental warm fuzzy. Turn your eyes upon Jesus means your salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. <laughs> And, and turn your eyes on him because he's, you know, when you go for surgery, you don't look in the mirror and go, I wonder if I can do this. <laughs> you, you go, well, there's a doctor, there's a surgeon, and she knows how to do it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this over to her. And that's the gospel. That's our Christian faith. Turn your eyes on Jesus because he saves you and you can't save yourself, which is good stuff. I wonder if anybody else is like me. I'm not a baseball fan. And late. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I saw that it was 0-0 in the eighth inning. And I knew it was the playoffs. You know, I listened to the radio. I knew what was up. I thought to myself, I'm going to turn my eyes on the playoffs for just a half hour and watch the end of this game. <laughs> yeah, that was like 8 o'clock last night. 18 innings for crying out loud. I watched more baseball yesterday than I have in the last 10 years, and it was all extra innings. Uh, but it didn't turn out the way we wanted, but that was fun. That was fun uh, last night. And boy, I guess, you know, really high-level pitching or low-level batting, whatever you want to call it. But that was, that was, that was kind of amazing. It, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome, uh, friends, to MRCC, to Second Service here again, to everybody who's joining us live and online. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I, I have a few quick announcements for you. And then I just want to share something just really on my heart with you before we turn into God's Word. We're going to be in Titus. We're starting an expository teaching series through Titus this morning. So if you want to turn there, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, back there by Hebrews and James and all that in your Bible towards the back. Um, we're going to be in Titus. But a, a few quick announcements. And then, uh, first of all, huge thanks to all the guys and gals who served uh, Friday night and all day yesterday for the Ladies Beth Moore event. It was a tremendous event. I had more than 75 ladies out here all that time. Just rich, deep teaching. I went for a walk with my wife after it was over yesterday, and for six miles, all she did was tell me what Beth Moore said. Uh, she was just was digging it. She was just grooving to it. And so huge thanks to everybody who served, because there were a lot of people behind the scenes doing food prep and taking care of the building and set up and tear down and all that. Huge thanks to you for, uh, for bringing in that to pass. Um, a few quick announcements. We are in the second week of Operation Christmas Child this year, so the Christmas Child boxes are out in the foyer. You know how this works. We've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we've, if you're unfamiliar, uh, those Christmas boxes we fill with gifts for uh, children in the poorest parts of the world. Thousands of churches do this in partnership with Samaritan's Purse every year, and then Samaritan's Purse makes sure those are delivered. So you're invited to take a box home. The instructions are inside of it. You fill it with uh, stuff for little kids, uh, uh, and they've got recommended gifts because it's in the third world. And then you bring that back here to the church, and then we deliver it to Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse delivers it around the world. So you can grab one, two boxes, one for each kid, whatever. It's a tremendous experience, great way to teach your kids. So Operation Christmas Child is underway. Boxes in the foyer. Uh, coming up uh, a week from, from this Tuesday will be the MOPS group, Mothers and Preschoolers group on that Tuesday morning. They're going to have their trunk or treat event here in the church parking lot. So if you can come down, decorate your trunk, fill it up with diabetes, inducing uh, stuff. It'll be great for the kids. Uh, it's going to happen that morning at 10 o'clock. So uh, the MOPS is inviting you to come be a part of that. 
a week from tomorrow is Band of Brothers, next men's dinner, so that'll happen not tomorrow, but next week on Monday. And then that following Sunday, the 30th, important, that's our, our church's annual business meeting once a year. Uh, and of course, with all the COVID disruptions, we haven't had a full business meeting in two years, so we need to elect deacons. Uh, so it's very important that you set aside an hour that evening to be with us, uh, Sunday evening, October 30th, but also because the development team had their final meeting with our general contractor on building the children's wing. And tomorrow night, your church board will be meeting to recommend to the congregation whether to sign that contract and they'll start digging out here. And we need your vote on that. We need you to vote for or if you feel led against uh, us spending the money to build that uh, children's wing next door. So that's going to happen that night as well. So please, if you would make plans to be with us uh, for that uh, uh, Sunday evening, October 30th business meeting. Um, and then what's on my heart? You know, Ron and I have been serving with you almost 16 years now, and over and over and over again, I personally am just amazed at how faithful and generous our church is in giving. It's unbelievable. Uh, every month as a board, when we meet to, to review, you know, what we're doing financially and and all that, we're just, we're, we're speechless every month at the faithful giving of God's people. And there's so much that happens because of that that you don't always get to see. And I, it's just on my heart this week to share a few things with you recently. Uh, we have a missions team here at MRCC that leads our missions outreach. You're invited to become a part of that. They meet once a month, make recommendations to the board about missions. They put together short-term mission trips. They're the ones who choose the missionaries that we support. And if you're unaware, uh, MRCC uh, supports 30 missionaries around the world. If you go to the church website, you can find each and every one of them and where they're serving, what they're doing. There's just little links on there. Um, and all of that happens because of our regular giving week in and week out. So there's those, and then we're involved in partnerships with four other missions organizations. We're able to do that because of our giving, but we're able to do even more than that. Just recently, your missions team has recommended and the board has approved a number of pretty cool special things. One of them is that Grace Coster, one of our teenagers who went through a youth group here at the church for the last several years, just graduated. She uh, felt like God was calling her to serve in youth with a mission. She had to raise a large budget, couldn't raise it all. And so your church stepped in and added about $3,000 to her missions project. She's now serving overseas in youth with a missions because of our giving. Um, uh, earlier this year, Mercy Reigns, which uh, Larry and Charlotte Travis lead, uh, works in Uganda with disadvantaged children, uh, the poorest of the poor, uh, had a dream to build a school for those kids, and MRCC was able to step up and give $20,000. I could just keep going. But all of that happens because we give. <laughs> because you and me and us, we are faithful to give. So I, I just, I, my heart's full. <laughs> and thank you for that. There is a unique fruit that flows from long-term persevering together as the people of God. It, it only happens because we stick together for the long haul over the long term, and we all do our part. And I get to see that, and I just wish you could see that all the time. And so sometimes I just want to share that with you. So thank you for that. We kind of have a tradition here. Take your right hand, hold it up. Go ahead, put it over your left shoulder, and give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that was coming. But anyway, I just want, my, I can't, I'm amazed. Uh, and every time we get to do that, I mean, the board is just speechless. We're just like, wow. 
People are so generous, so thank you for that. Okay, Titus chapter one. Let's start a new teaching series this morning, friends. And, and as we do that, this is gonna be what we call an expository series. We go back before we do topical teaching, we do expository preaching. And this means we're gonna go verse by verse through a book. It's important that we learn to do this as we grow up in Christ because God wants us to receive his word on its own terms. Uh, sometimes we think that the baseline is what we are experiencing and going through. God says, no, I wanna address you from a higher level than that, uh, like a father with a son or daughter. I wanna talk to you about the things you don't even know you need to know about yet. And uh, we encounter his fathering in that way when we do expository teaching. So we're in Titus. We're going to be in chapter one. Uh, and for the next month, we'll be there in Titus together. It's a short book, but it has a very pointed message for us. And Paul jumps right into it at the outset. Let, let me begin by asking you a question. And that's this. How do you identify or recognize a good leader? What's, what's your criteria? You know, or to, or to sort of put this in another context, how do you recognize a good teacher for your kids? What makes you think, oh yeah, that teacher's gonna be good for my kids or, or that employer, that leader, or that supervisor? H how do you identify good leaders? Paul's gonna talk to us about that. God's gonna talk to us about that here in Titus chapter one. I remember when our son Isaiah, Rhonda's teaching in kids' church this service, but our son Isaiah, when he was in third grade, he had a fantastic third grade teacher. The guy was amazing. Uh, in fact, he was so good at what he did that he was able to get uh, a huge portion of the class, more than half of the class, to commit uh, that summer to spend the whole summer at his house doing science projects and learning science in addition to school in the winter. The guy was just amazing. He had a knack for leadership. He had a knack for teaching. And we knew he was going to be a good leader when we visited his classroom. We were invited to at the beginning of the year and we went and got to visit his classroom. And you got all these third graders and they're rowdy and they're, you know, running around and you're trying to keep their attention. And he had a trick to capture their attention when they all got too rowdy. And what he would do is, if, as things kind of got out of hand and it was noisy and they weren't paying attention, he would say, hey, gang, booger fart butt. <laughs> now, when you say booger fart butt to a bunch of third graders, what happens? They all start laughing and they all turn to pay attention to you. And that was his trick. He told us about it afterwards. He says, yeah, I've been using that for years. Works with every third grade class. <laughs> and we said, yeah, he gets it. This guy's going to be a good leader for three. How do you identify a good leader? How do you recognize one? That's an important question because the people that we allow to be leaders in our lives, or, or as we say in the 21st century, influencers, the people that we allow to be influences in our lives create the atmosphere that our heart and mind and spirit lives in. And that atmosphere can be either healthy or sickening. And the Apostle Paul is concerned about the atmosphere where the young pastor Titus is serving. And so he's going to start right off talking about that. The atmosphere created by the leaders that we choose to allow roles in our lives. You know, when it comes to an atmosphere making you healthy or sick, I'll always remember when I, uh, I spent a year serving in Iceland when I was in the military, and after living there for a year, cold, crisp, clear, clean Iceland, I got on a plane, flew to Los Angeles, and got off in Los Angeles in the middle of August, and oh my goodness, was the air different. In, in fact, 
I got off the plane, checked in, and I actually got physically sick for a day. <laughs> actually put me on sick leave because I was trying to adjust. They say if you live in Los Angeles, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. <laughs> and, and, you know, that air was very different, and you could feel the difference. God wants to talk to us about the air that our spirits live in, the air that is created by the influencers and the leaders in our life. So let's listen to Paul write to Titus. Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect, God's people. That's what good pastors do. They further your faith. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge. Catch this phrase because it's hugely significant. He says, and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. We tend to assume that godliness is a result of our effort and our achievement and our success. God says godliness comes from knowing the truth about him. It comes from a different place than we often suspect it comes from. So he says, I, I'm, I, my, my mission is to share with people the truth that leads to godliness. And then he, he uses another way to describe it. He says, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. We'll talk about that, what that means. Which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light, through Jesus and through the preaching about him, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So let's pause just a moment, understand the context that he's creating for what he's about to say, which is all about the influencers and leaders in our lives. He speaks of the truth that leads to godliness. Friends, we want to understand that godliness flows from knowing the truth about God. You know, when you know intimately someone who you admire or look up to or plays a significant role in your life, just what you know about them profoundly affects your choices, your thinking, your feeling. And God says it's that way with him. You are shaped by what you learn about who he is and who he isn't. It is the truth that leads to godliness. And the more you know about who he actually really and truly is, the more we are able to separate the deceptions about who he isn't, that in itself transforms us. Because you act differently when you know someone well. You are affected by that knowledge. If you don't know them well, well, then it's a whole different animal. Now you're just guessing. The truth that leads to godliness. So if I can maybe illustrate this a little bit. A couple of weeks ago was Pastor Josh and Nicole's last Sunday with us. You remember we had a farewell and they went off to, to Gilbert, Arizona. They're down there serving now. And, and that night, Rhonda and I uh, took them out to dinner, kind of, you know, farewell dinner and we love you and all that kind of stuff. And so we had dinner down in town uh, at Il Siciliano on Sunday night. We got done and sent them off, prayed over them. And then Ron and I uh, jumped in the car and headed home. We live off of Griffin, so we're coming from Il Siciliano up in Griffin. We turn on to Griffin there, you know, uh, where the curve is by the school. And all of a sudden, red and blue flashing lights in my rearview mirror, right? Oh, man, what did I do? Did I roll stop a stop sign or what did I do? So I pull over. 
police officer pulls up behind, you know, and it's always fun when everybody in the world is driving by while you're stopped, right? So I'm like, what did I do? So the guy gets out and he comes up, the officer to my door window, and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't know why I pulled you over. What, did I miss the stop sign? He said, no, you got a brake light out. I said, oh man, thanks. I'll get on that. I'll take care of that. You know, I'll jump on that right away. And then he said words I never thought I'd hear in my life. He says, sir, would you step out of the car? And would you be willing to submit to a field sobriety test? <laughs> Are you kidding? He said that and I said, yes, I will. Nobody's ever said that to me before. I said, are you serious? And I got out of the car and he says, yes, would you come? I said, you bet I will, let's do this. And I'm like, and he's kind of a little freaked out by my reaction. He says, have you had anything to drink tonight? Dude, I haven't drank in 40 years. You know, you have no idea what you're talking about, but I, I'm in, I'm, let's do this, you know? And so we're doing it and I'm smiling the whole time and everybody's driving by and I'm like, hey, Pastor Greg, get me his field sobriety test. Well, partway through it, he realizes that he completely missed it on this one, you know? He pulled over the wrong guy. And so then he says, well, what cologne do you wear? I don't know what cologne I wear. My wife buys cologne. I put it on. I don't know what it is. It's right there by the counter. It magically shows up there. He said, well, it smells like alcohol. <laughs> Rhonda goes, no, it doesn't, you know, and the guy's just trying to get out of it, and I'm trying to help him get out of the moment, you know, and so I said, hey, it's all right, bro. It's all good. You know, I'm good to go. I said, here's the good news. I got back in the car. I gave him a fist bump. I said, you'll be in my sermon next week, so this will be, this will be awesome. But here's the thing. Here's why I tell the story, okay? If he knew who I was, he would have never asked. He would have just gone up and said, oh, it's you, Pastor Greg, you're too dumb to be the guy I need. You know, he would have just went, you know, and I know a number of the officers, they would have said, well, he's not drinking. You know, we know that. We know this guy. But he didn't know me, and so his behavior was different. It's the same thing with us and God. When we know him, that truth leads to godliness. When we're not sure of him, that untruth keeps us from godliness. And knowing that, the Apostle Paul says, so who's shaping the truth in your heart and mind? Who's doing that? And, and that, that becomes his subject right away. He says, uh, he's going to talk about the leaders they're allowing in their lives. But first of all, let's just settle on this truth, the godliness thing. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that he, God, catch this, friends, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Now, there's a little word play there you kind of don't get in English. The word knowledge in Greek is gnosis, which just means, you know, knowledge. But then there's what's called epignosis, which is precise and correct specific knowledge. Everybody in here knows how to drive. Uh, there's a couple of guys in our church who are race car drivers. They really know how to drive. We all know how to drive. They have specific knowledge. And the idea here is that that specific knowledge that we get through Christ, that is what produces and creates godliness because we behave differently when we know who God is. And Paul says that he's called to preach to that end. And, and that's an important thing to grasp because God has ordained, this could sound self-serving, but I'm gonna trust you know me better than this. God has ordained that the best way we apprehend that truth is through preaching. Yeah, I mean, that's weird to think about, especially when you're the preacher, but I wasn't always. And God taught me that, no, this is his method to increase our knowledge of the truth of him. Listen to what the apostle writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this. He says, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached 
to save those who believe. He said Jews demand signs. There are people that are just chasing miracles, and they think that that's the best way to know God. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. They just want to be clever and smart and, and you know, wise in, in an earthly sense. But we, by contrast to those things, we preach Christ crucified. We preach this man Jesus and his death on the cross. A stumbling block to Jews who are chasing miracles and foolishness to Gentiles who just want to be sophomoric and gather earthly wisdom. But to those whom God has called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God says, it is through preaching that your heart will be shaved. And you say to yourself, man, I'm just not really into listening to preaching. God says that is an acquired taste and it is the best way to shape your heart and mind. And then he says, to, to the, the truth that leads to godliness and to a hope or to a, a faith resting on the hope of eternal life. Catch that. Very simply put, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but very simply put, God wants you and me always looking forward to heaven. Are you? It's real easy to get caught up looking around. We are surrounded by so much news, so much stuff going on, so many urgent things that aren't always important things that we get caught up looking everywhere but ahead to heaven. God says that he wants us, his sons and daughters, always looking ahead to heaven, always thinking about that reality that is assured and firm and coming towards us. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, that means you're going to end up there because I'm going to come back and take you there. I'm going to make sure you get there. Church, let me just invite you to get into the habit of looking forward to eternal life. Of, of thinking about it, of talking, wow, wow. Because when you do, it'll make what you have to go through in the meantime a lot less intimidating. You know, Ron and I kind of have a habit. We're weird, okay? We kind of have a habit. Sometimes on a slow Friday or Saturday night or, you know, we're out somewhere at a picnic or whatever, we'll just start talking about what heaven's going to be like, you know, and God's preparing a place. What You know, what's going to be there? Our dogs are going to be there. We're quite sure of that, all right? Now you say, well, you don't know that. No, but I know that it's going to be even better than that, right? And, and we talk about our little house, and we, we want to live together. We want to be in the same room, you know? And so what will we have in there? And, and I dream of the day when my wife finally makes the bed the way it's supposed to be made. And all these things will happen in heaven, and we look forward to them. But, but here's the thing. When you're looking forward, it gives you power now. That's a big deal. You, if you are a believer in Jesus, are meant to look forward. You know that feeling when a, a great vacation is coming up and you're getting ready to go on? Pastor Wes and Stacy uh, weren't with us this morning. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary in Hawaii. So they've been in Hawaii all week. And I got to tell you, in a couple weeks up to it, Weston was barely here. <laughs> His head, anyway. It's constantly, we're going to Hawaii, you know what I mean? And Stacy was saying, we're going to Hawaii, you know. God wants us living like that, not in the sense of not being here, but of looking forward so much that whatever we're dealing with in the meantime doesn't look so hard. And, and, and that, is a, that is a powerful reality. So Paul talks about the faith that rests on the hope of heaven. And then he goes on, verse 4. He says, To Titus, my true son in our faith, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Paul sees his fellow believers as family. We've talked about this before. He calls Timothy his son. God intends for us to own each other as brother, sister, mother, father, sons, and daughters. 
And then he gets to his practical point and the reason that I brought up the whole leadership thing. He's done his greeting and then he talks about leaders. He says, verse five, the reason I left you in Crete, Titus is in Crete, island in the Mediterranean. Paul's doing his missionary travels. He's writing to the young pastor who's leading that area. And he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order, some translations have it straighten out. Uh, we'll explain it in a moment. Put in order or straighten out what was left unfinished, and appoint elders. The word means pastors. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, the phrase straighten out or put in order in the Greek is the word epiortho, ortho from orthopedics. And what Paul is going to say here in just a moment, you're going to see it, is that because of false influencers, bad leaders, lying teachers, there is a brokenness in Crete that affects like a broken bone. It cripples the people. Their thinking about God is broken. And he wants it to be set right. The word literally means to set a bone like you would with a cast. He says, I want you to appoint elders in every town so that these broken bones in people's hearts and minds in their thinking about who God is would be set and straightened out, would be corrected. That's a big deal. Because, friends, the most powerful influence in anybody's life, your life, my life, anybody's life, is the ideas that we have about God. They affect us at a profound level. They affect how we think, how we behave, how we feel. They affect us below the level of the conscious almost all the time, but they also affect us consciously. And so the question is, where do we get our ideas about who God is? And there are a lot of people offering bad ideas about God resulting in brokenness in people's lives. Paul's concerned about that. So he says to Titus, I want you to make sure there are good spiritual leaders in every town. It's a big deal. You know, sometimes we aren't even aware of our brokenness. Sometimes we might not even know that we need to have an idea adjusted or corrected or set like a bone. I remember when I was in the service down in California, 1983, and I was in a bad car wreck. And uh, we were driving too fast, four young guys doing what we shouldn't. And the car hit the center median of I-5 and disintegrated from the firewall forward. That's how bad a wreck it was. Just It was a 69 Pontiac Firebird. Ugh. Talk about not right. But anyway, the car was just destroyed. And when it came to a stop in the middle of the freeway, all four of us appeared unhurt. <laughs> and so we got out of the car and like, whoa, we survived. We should be dead. And people stopped and the police came and we were part of cleaning up the mess, getting all the parts out of the road and the police, you know, put a barrier around it, blah, blah, blah. Tow truck came, hauled away the junk. And eventually, uh, about an hour and a half later, uh, we got in a cab and headed back to the base. So for all this time, for all this hour and a half, I've been picking up parts, moving them, giving a report to the police, blah, 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 doing all this stuff. I get in the cab as we head back to the base and I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm going, my shoulder hurts, you know. And for the first time, I put my hand up here, and that was when I discovered that my collarbone had completely broken in two. It was, it was a big bump sticking out and moving around. I was like, ah, I think I need to go to the hospital. But here's the amazing thing. For an hour and a half, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. And, you know, what I later learned about medicine, there's an artery there. It could have been a bad deal. But I was completely unaware 
uh, you know, until I put my fingers there. Paul says, sometimes we can have a brokenness like that. And he says, I want to straighten that in people's lives. And, and what causes that brokenness, he says, verses 10 and 11, is, is bad leaders, bad influencers. Look at what he says, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, many, full of meaningless talk. Not like they're not talking. They are talking. It's just meaningless. Full of meaningless talk and deception. They're deceived and they pass on their deceptions. Especially those of the circumcision group. Right? Particularly concerned about Jews saying that you've got to earn your way into God's grace. He says they, this whole group, the rebellious, the deceivers, the talkers, the circumcision group, they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And interestingly, the word disrupted is linked to the word ortho. They're breaking. They're creating brokenness. Uh, in whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. In other words, there's a lot of false teachers. You and me, God wants us to consciously choose among the leaders and influencers that are available and to choose wisely. And that is his first concern for us as he writes to Titus. You know, here's the reality. All of us are always choosing influencers and leaders in our lives. We do it consciously. We do it unconsciously. We select the people we're going to listen to. And that has profound effects. I remember when I was in college, when I first got to college my freshman year, uh, I chose my schedule according to the classes I wanted to take. But after being on campus for a year, for the rest of my time in college, I chose my courses according to who was teaching them. <laughs> because I knew that if I picked good teachers... I was going to get great learning. Whereas if I just picked classes, sometimes I wasn't going to get that. God says that he wants us to think. He wants you, his son, his daughter, to think in those terms. Who are the leaders you choose? Who do you allow to influence? There's, there's some obviously bad ways to choose. Let me touch on a, three of them real quick. Sometimes we only choose to listen to the people who agree with us already. We only choose to listen to the people who agree with The quickest way to be dumb is to do that <laughs> because there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. And if you only listen to the people who will tell you what you already think, well, you cut yourself off from learning. You lock yourself down, put yourself in an echo chamber, and it'll always be the same. So some people, that's how they choose their leaders. Some people choose by the ones who are most popular. They think if somebody's getting a lot of attention, they must be worth listening to. I'm like, did you ever go to middle school? Did you ever go to high school? Don't you know that's not the way you choose who you're going to listen to? Popular doesn't mean wise or good. Goodness. Sometimes as believers, we even say that, well, hey, that gal, that guy is getting a whole lot of attention on, on Instagram. They must be a good deal. Are you kidding? No, no, it's easy to get attention. It's hard to be a good teacher. And then some people, the third way, some people just choose to only listen to themselves. You know, they're just not going to listen to anybody except themselves. Again, it's a quick way to make yourself dumb. All those ways are foolish. God says, instead, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Because, again, the most powerful influence in your life is whatever you believe to be true about God. And false teachers peddle lies about him. Listen, Paul goes in depth into verses 12 to 14. He said, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. He's not writing a travelogue here in case you're wondering. He says, this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they'll be sound in the faith. Because there's all these false teachers out there. It's created this atmosphere of indifference. 
Paul says, rebuke them sharply so they'll be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. In other words, it was very common in those days for Jews to say, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to also be Jewish. Paul said, no, Christ is the fulfillment of Jewishness. So he's specifically referring to that idea here, today. That idea manifests the same way in that you achieve your way into God's grace. Paul says, no, Jesus gives it freely because you believe. Two different ideas. Paul says, watch out for that. And the result is that when, when we live, when we inhabit in an atmosphere of broken ideas about God, we become gullible. We become misled. And that ends in terrible tragedies as we assume things about God that aren't true. I don't know if you were paying attention to the news this week, but everybody knows that if somebody sends you an email attachment and you don't know who it is, you don't click on it, right? Can we just, right? And if somebody calls you on your phone and you don't know the number, right, you, you don't answer it. Well, not everybody knows that. And there was an awful story about a, a 65-year-old Japanese woman in Higashomi City, Japan, who got called by a scammer. And here's what the scammer said hey, I've been following your social media and I think I've fallen in love with you. I think we're connected and we're compatible and I think I should come there and get married to you. And he convinced her that that was the truth. Then, in maybe the most breathtaking scam I've ever heard in my life, he said this, here's the problem. He says, I'm actually a Russian cosmonaut, not a Nigerian prince, but a Russian cosmonaut and I'm on the International Space Station. And in order for me to get to you, I have to pay my return to earth fees. So I need you to send money so I can pay my return. This happened. So I can pay my return to earth fees. She said, oh, okay. So she sent him $30,000, her life savings, for his return to earth fees. Now, I read that story and I thought, I'm not sure who's dumber in this situation. I think I could come up with a better scam than that, right? I'm a cosmonaut on the space station. But then... But then because of her brokenness, because of her ignorance, because of her, her broken idea of what she wanted and needed and how it happened, she was susceptible and gullible to it. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. God wants to... So he says, here's how you choose a good leader. Look at verses 5 uh, and following. An elder, a, a, a spiritual leader, pastor, must be blameless... The word doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means praiseworthy in character. It means held to a higher standard than everybody else. An elder must be blameless, must be faithful to his wife, to his spouse, must be a man, a woman whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. By the way, the word children in that phrase is talking about small children. It's not talking about your 40-year-old who's gone off the rails. It's talking about the small children while they're in your home. They must be... Uh, uh, believe and not be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, a pastor, a spiritual leader manages God's household, he must be not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, must be hospitable, the idea is approachable and open, must be one who loves what is good, must be moral, must be virtuous, must be passionately committed to what is right and good, must be self-controlled, must be upright, must be holy and disciplined. Friends, that simple list disqualifies 90% of the people 
whom our culture and society call leaders. They're right out the window. They shouldn't be followed. Do they get into fits of rage? Are they violent? Do they pursue dishonest gain? Well, you say, well, they agree with our issues. Wrong answer. That's a false leader who should not be influencing you. Because a good leader has a whole different set of qualifications. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That means he doesn't make up his own ideas. He doesn't tell you his own ideas. He preaches the Bible. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of experience with God that flows out of the Bible, but it all rests in and on the Bible so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Notice he says they must not be rebellious. Look, friends, Jesus is not seeking to lead an armed rebellion against the government. He's not. And a leader who tells you he is falls into the qualification of false. He's not a smooth-talking entertainer full of meaningless talk and deception. He doesn't make up stories all the time. He doesn't just uh, 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 sentimentalize his way to God. Instead, he preaches the scriptures, the truth. And God wants us exercising that kind of discernment when we choose our leaders. There's a great example of that in Acts chapter 17. The Bible tells us that the Bereans, the people who lived in Berea, were of more noble character than the ones in Thessalonica because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Yeah, they, 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 they took their Bible and said, okay, we're going to do Bible. This is about Bible. Blameless, one marriage, someone whose children believe. You get the idea. And, and we are meant to choose our leaders on that basis. Let me just ask, we're almost done this morning. How do you choose yours? <laughs> There's a zillion people on the internet offering teaching. How do you choose among them? The scripture says that the proof that someone is godly is not that they claim to know God. Paul says the false teachers claim to know God. But it's these other qualifications. Who are the people who influence you? We can't accomplish good things by following bad leaders. And so Paul says to Titus, we need to have a local pastor in every community, and you and I get to choose which of those we're going to follow. Now, the, the, the in every town is important because you don't really get to know someone from a distance. You get to know them so that you can make these kinds of discernments when you see their life day in and day out. When you, get, you see their character, you see their conversation, you see their family, you see their work ethic, all of those things. And so for that reason, the church is meant to have its center of gravity locally. doesn't mean we don't benefit from other things, but we're meant to have that center of gravity locally. Appoint elders in every town. And the, he wraps it up um, there in verse 15 when he says something that's easily misunderstood. So let me take a moment to break it down, then we'll be done. He says, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. He doesn't mean anything goes morally. He doesn't mean if you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. What he's talking about is that there was a tendency among the Jews in those days to say, as I mentioned earlier, that you got to do Jewish stuff in addition to Christian stuff in order to be really Christian. And one of those requirements was certain dietary restrictions. Now, Jesus himself said, 
It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of him. The Bible says when, when he said that, he pronounced all foods clean. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 had a vision wherein the Holy Spirit showed him that, hey, the, the dietary laws have now been superseded in Christ. That was true then. Now we've grown beyond that into faith in Jesus, so we leave that behind. But there were still Jews saying, you can't eat certain kinds of food. And so when Paul says to the pure, all things are pure, saying, hey, once you know Christ, food isn't the issue. It's much more significant than that. You can go beyond that. But then to the pure, all things are pure contains another idea that's kind of hard to communicate. I want to finish with it. But that's this idea. Sometimes we think, especially when our ideas about God are broken, we think that being right is the same as being good. And if we have all the right answers to religion, to spirituality, if we have all the right answers, then by default, we're good. God says, no, there's a difference between being good and being right. Real right leads to good. We have a word for it. Orthodoxy, truth about God, leads to orthopraxy, behavior that is godly. And Paul is saying that when you know the truth about God, then what you do flows out of that, and you don't have to stress about being right as much as you stress about being good. Let me illustrate this. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And it's a, a, a story we know well, but we sometimes don't fully grasp. Jesus said, you know the story. A man is going down uh, to Jericho, and he's set upon by thieves. He's beaten, he's robbed, he's left in a ditch for dead. Jesus said three people came by. The first person was a Levite. Or, I'm sorry, the first person was a priest. In other words, a spiritual leader in the temple someone who knows the truth or should know the truth. But what did the priest do when he saw the man in the ditch? He crossed to the other side of the road, passed by, and left him. He was right. He wasn't good. Then a Levite came. Well, the Levites are in charge with knowing the technical truth about God in every way, shape, and form. The Levite comes up, sees the man in the ditch, passes by, and goes down the road. Then, Jesus says, and this would have been crystal clear to his Jewish audience, then a Samaritan came. Now remember, the Samaritans are wrong about religion. In John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, you Samaritans don't even know what you're worshiping. <laughs> Salvation's from the Jews. So the Samaritans are wrong about details. But the Samaritan stops, goes into the dish, and takes care of the man. Jesus says, now who's righteous? The priest or the Levite who know? or the Samaritan who does. That's the idea into the pure, all things are pure. And Paul says that flows out of choosing good leaders, choosing good influences. How do you choose yours? How do you make that choice? It's a critical choice, and your father wants you to make it wisely. Let me finish with the story. When I was in the service, um, we went to, our, our, our company went to infantry school where we learned about all different weapons and how to use them. And um, part of that training was to learn how to use the M60 machine gun, okay? So, you know, this is a big, powerful weapon. It shoots a lot of rounds. So you go to these classes, and they're, they're hard on you, and they drill you how to take care of it, how to be safe with it, how to handle it. And then we'd go out, and we would shoot and get good at aiming it. So we go through this class, and, you know, I'm like all ears because this thing's dangerous, right? But there was another guy in our company. I didn't know him personally. I heard this story after the fact, but... He was a good old boy from Arkansas. 
He said, you know, I, I grew up around guns, man. I've been around guns my whole life. I don't need somebody to teach me about guns. I know how to handle guns. I had a gun in my crib, you know, this kind of thing. So he didn't really pay attention. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't choose to be led. And you know what the consequence was? In the middle of a week of our weapons training, he fired. The firing stopped. He was to go downrange and check his score. He wasn't careful with the weapon. There was a round in the breach. It cooked off, hit him in the back, and killed him. But, hey, he's a good old boy. He's been around guns his whole life. Well, maybe not. God calls us to choose leaders wisely so that the brokenness in us can be set because when that brokenness is set, that truth leads to godliness. It changes us. So how do you choose your leaders? How do you choose your influencers? Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? God, we thank you for your word this morning. As your sons and daughters, God, give us the, the guts to be careful about the leaders we choose who we're going to allow to influence us. God, teach us the wisdom of choosing someone locally, someone whose whole life we can see, and then learning from them, and learning with careful discernment like the Bereans did, always checking that the broken places in us might be set, corrected, that we might know the godliness that flows from truth. We pray for that. Lord, help us to choose our leaders wisely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. In chapter 2 of Titus, Paul is going to talk about the specific role that we play in leading others. And so we'll talk about that next week. But now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.